0: Learn Persian with Trying Conversation, Growing Up Iruni, an interview with Yara Elm Jui. Hello and welcome to Growing Up Iruni, an interview with Yara Elm I'm your host, Leila Shams. In this series, we profile members of the Iranian diaspora who are navigating their relationship with the Iranian culture and Persian language. Yara is a Webby Award-winning, James Beard-nominated video producer, journalist, and host at AJ+. He produced a four-part documentary series for AJ+, about Iranian Americans, in which he profiled many Iranians living in the United States. One particularly touching part of the series was about his own family. Despite growing up in the US, he moved to Iran after college for two years to work as a journalist and translator there. I've been following him on Twitter and Instagram for a while and have always been drawn to his engaging videos and love the way he translates Iranian culture for an international audience. So I wanted to talk to him and see what sparked his love for Iranian culture, and how he was so well versed in the language despite having grown up in the United States. So here's my interview with Yara, hope you enjoy. (laughs) Yara <laughs> Elmjui. Welcome to Learn Persian with Chayan Conversation. Thank you so much for talking with me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Leila.
0: Yeah. So you're my first interview. Where uh, up until now, I've done this series, raising Nimruni's or growing up Nimruni. So you're my first full Iruni. So oh,
1: full, yeah, <laughs> tamam Iruni. <laughs> exactly.
0: I'm, so you're my first guest as a growing up Iruni. So thank you.
1: <laughs> Amazing. It's a pleasure.
0: Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about your background. So where were you born um, and what is your cultural background?
1: Absolutely. So, um, yes, like you said, both my parents are Iranian. They both immigrated from Iran uh, to various places, but they settled in California as like everyone, (laughs) the vast majority of our community did it seems. Uh, where am I from? I'm from a small town in Northern California, an hour South of San Francisco called Los Gatos. Today, our claim to fame is that Netflix is based there. The less interesting part of Netflix, the administrative office. So not where they're doing the cool stuff is all commissioned everywhere. But I like to say that now. But yeah, a small little town, uh, I don't know, 30, 40 some odd thousand people in uh, Northern California. I was born there. I was raised there, although... I should say I was raised in a way, especially during my earlier years between California and Tehran because my parents shuttled back and forth. I was born after the Iran-Iraq war kind of had completed in 19, you know, a a few years after the Iran-Iraq war had ended and uh, 1991. So my parents were considering, you know, potentially when I talk to them these days, like going back to Iran in that time and maybe living there because they'd waited for the war to finish. And uh, well, that's a whole story.
0: So why why Los Gatos? Is that, are there a lot of Iranians there?
1: Why did they pick Los Giles? I, you know what, that's funny. I don't know if I have the exact, like the precise answer to that question, but I believe it had something to do with the schools, the public schools there. And, you know, it's typically, you know, Parents are probably just like, oh, I've heard the schools here are great. They're public, so they're free. (laughs) And
0: um, so they didn't have like a community of their own there. They just picked a random. No.
1: Wow. Just the two of them. Yeah, I think I I have to see how they you know, that's a story I don't know yet. But how because when they when my dad came to the States, my mom then followed afterwards, he went back to Iran. They got married during the very, very um, early years of the Iran-Iraq war, actually, is when my dad went back. So my dad came to the U.S. first for college as the revolution was brewing in Iran in 1978, 79, then went back to the States to, you know, basically, sorry, went to the States to kind of start his education and then uh, went back to Iran. I think 80, 81, something like that, married my mother. Uh, and then they moved back together and they kind of just went on a little journey for themselves, Utah, Nevada, Reno. I mean, just all these different places. Nice. And somehow I haven't really asked them why Los Gatos slash San Jose, which is the largest city next to Los Gatos, but for whatever reason they settled there and yeah they even even for a time they live in santa cruz california which is kind of our little beach town they hopped around the, those places maybe i think it was perhaps they had a friend or something because you know there's a lot of iranians in california so.
0: something right definitely yeah
1: so they probably just like joined them and were like oh this place is great the weather is like i don't know <laughs> right
0: right which i should mention here so you have a really good four-part series uh about iranian americans on is it aj plus is that where mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. series is? Okay. And um, you, the second part of the series is all the story of your parents, which I really loved watching. Oh, thank it was you! It's a lot of fun. It's a great series. I definitely related to it uh, a lot. But so, growing up, so what was your experience with um, like the Persian language? Let's start with the language and then also talk about the culture.
1: Uh, definitely. Okay. So, growing up as a kid, and this is a common experience, I think, for maybe a lot of a lot of Iranian first or first or second generations. I guess I should say uh, immigrants and child children of immigrants. My parents' their English was not that great when I was younger. Now it's now it's great, of course. But back in the day, I think you know they'd been in the states for you know a decade or so, and it was good. Obviously, they had jobs they were working, but it's it, you know their comfort kind of language was Persian. So they would speak to me in Persian. That was the first language that I learned to speak. And, and so it, it not only was like a matter of chronology of it being the first language I learned how to speak, but it also then became kind of this comfort food for me, this soul food of like, this is my comfort tongue. Like, if I want to feel comfortable and I want to be able to communicate whatever it is that's on my mind, I'm going to just resort to Persian because that's just that's just our little our little kind of comfort language. And uh, so I learned to speak. And it's funny because, uh, you know, I'd go to school and my English was not that great. Like a lot of other kids, (laughs) you know, Hank, John, Justin, Jake, you know, they were all just kind of like, you know, English was their language. And I was coming in and I was kind of, sometimes I remember vividly, Was it in preschool or kindergarten? I would accidentally say Persian words, and my friends, I'd be like, "Yeah, I want to go to the whatever." I think I would throw out a Persian word, and then like they'd be like, "What?" (laughs) I'd be like, "Oh, it was so embarrassing." Uh, Wow. Yeah. It's it's.
0: So you didn't start speaking English until you were in kindergarten, is that right?
1: Preschool, no preschool. I would say yeah, something like that. But the the behavior sort of continued. I'd I'd say if I remember correctly, until kindergarten of accidents.
0: Wow. Okay. You know
1: what do you call this in linguistics? I don't know. It's not code switching, but there's some accidentally throwing a word from one language into another.
0: Right, right. Interesting. And then what about uh, you would go back to Iran? And so that would really notch up your language.
1: Exactly. And so I think one of the reasons it was so second nature to me, and obviously it was the first language I learned, it was our little soul food language at home, But I spent a lot of time in the first five years of my life in Iran, immediately after I was born, almost like what my mom tells me, just a few months after I was born, they put me on a plane. We went to Iran because they're like, here's the baby. We need to bring the baby to Iran so the family can meet the baby. And again, in that mindset of maybe moving back to Iran is a possibility for them. You know, maybe things will change a little bit in Iran. We can move back, have a comfortable life next to family and so i two months old. I do not remember that, obviously. But there's photos of me looking very baby like in Iran for <laughs> a long time.
0: <laughs> wow. And what about growing up? Did you ever like rebel against trying to speak Persian like a lot of kids here do?
1: Oh, that's a great question. So, yes, growing up, of course, when at first, obviously speaking Persian all the time, I'm not really thinking much of it. But then I'm going to school and there's peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. There's dunkaroos. Yes,
0: <laughs> there's... We all remember that. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Lunchables, right? And I'm coming to school with God knows what. Like, did yeah, I have yeah. my little thermos back then? I can't even remember. Oh, geez. You know, yeah. mom making food for me, packing it. This amazing is food. Yeah, right? amazing food. Yeah,
0: amazing food. Where this isn't white bread. You yeah. <laughs> need white bread. <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. Yes. It was not white bread by any means. <laughs> it was not the ham and cheese sandwich. Right. It was not any of those things. And uh, and so eventually, no, because like, you know, people would gawk and stare and, you know, say things and it would smell a certain way and and all these things. So I, that's when, you know, elementary school, I start to distance myself a little bit from it because I'm like, well, this is not accepted. I want to be cool. Everyone's like, let's, I want to be cool. Like the cool right. Kid. Fit
0: in. Totally.
1: Yeah. Fit in. Right. And so yeah. that's when I start to move away from it. And speak less of it. So again, it was my first language. It was the language I was strongest in perhaps for the first few years of my life when I could speak. But then, uh, then I start English obviously took over very, very quickly. Uh, cause that was the language you're spending eight hours at what it was, seven hours at school, speaking just English all day. And then you're with your parents for four or five hours and you're young. So then you go to bed. So,
0: right. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, so then did you start to lose it or did you start to answer back in English?
1: So that's something I never did. I never answered in English Ah. at home. Again, it was the comfort food language. So at home, I was always just speak Persian with my family. But again, I made sure like at school, Like it was just full English. I want, and I had just these embarrassing moments that leave an imprint on your, on your brain where it's like one day at school, your dad, your parents don't speak English as well, or their accent is kind of different. And so like my dad had said, Yara, I am an engineer. I'm he, my dad was an engineer. He got an engineering degree, but he ended up, uh you know, buying a Subway sandwich store and that became his primary source of revenue. But, uh, you know, when we would introduce our dads at school or something, what does your dad do, Jimmy? What does your dad do, Justin? And it came to me and my dad had always told me like on these little car rides we'd have to his Subway or little like father and son talks, he would say, Yara, I'm an engineer. He wouldn't say engineer. He'd say, I'm an engineer. And I oh, no. that was just because of his accent. So I go to school proud, like, oh, it's you. Justin went, you and I don't know who else went. And it's like, oh, it's my turn. What's, what's my dad? And I'd be like, so everyone, I'm <laughs> proud to say, oh, no. this is in kindergarten. My dad is an in <gasps> junior. And they, everyone was like, what, what, what? It was, I was mortified because oh, nobody no. knew what it was. And then the teacher, I think the teacher was trying to be very sweet. And the kids were like, what? And and she's like, oh, and eventually she popped in. She's like, oh, do you mean engineer? And I was like, very re- resolute. I was like, no, he's an in junior. <laughs>
0: oh. <laughs> so
1: these, um. These experiences were... Yeah,
0: it leaves an imprint for sure.
1: Definitely. And so that goes... I mean, I can go on to say how it changed, though, but this is skipping ahead a few years.
0: Right. Okay, so then what about reading and writing? Were you learning reading and
1: writing? Ah, uh, okay. So reading and writing, uh, no, I did not. And My parents definitely wanted me, were interested in me learning it. Uh, we went... I can't remember when this was. We lived in... I went to... um So, okay. So when I was born, we went to Tehran, we moved back. And then I think, I think at the, we went back again, we stayed for a significant amount of time, maybe before preschool. I did preschool. Then kindergarten, we left a little early. So I didn't finish kindergarten in the United States. I went to Tehran where I enrolled in an international school.
0: Ah, interesting. Uh, For the end
1: of it, uh, just a little bit left. I know it was a few months, something like that. So we left and I think this was a legit attempt to try to make Iran our, our, you know, home. And uh, that is, I went to international school. I think I kind of learned and gotten a little bit familiar, but I don't remember learning very much. It wasn't until eighth grade, I think, or so. Seventh or eighth grade, my dad was very passionate. He loved Iran. He was like, when you're grown up, I'm moving back to Iran. That was his, like, I'm going to go back to my, my homeland, blah, 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 And so he's like, you should go to the, you know learn Persian. And so she, he, put, he enrolled me in this class. I hated, I did not want to learn. Again, that sort of feeling of, I want to be like Jimmy and Jake and Justin and whatever and uh i did not like the teacher she was very strict i didn't like spending my saturdays learning the characters but i did learn the characters of persian and then uh i kind of put it away i cried i think i was like i really don't want to do this and so my my you know my mom was like look yeah, amir my dad's name is amir my mom's name is mahnaz uh you know he really is unhappy like let's just we don't have to push this on him so that stopped and it wasn't until high late high school early college that I started to pick it up again myself. Um, I developed an interest in, it was not at the behest of my parents, it was just, it was fully internally motivated. And there okay, was so, yeah.
0: So you said you wanted to go, go to see what happened later, but first, do you think that that was the right decision? Like, is that something that you look back on and you're like, ah, I wish they just forced me into it? Or do you think like, okay, I'm glad I came to it myself. I think
1: uh, in hindsight, here's the thing, because as we're kids, right? So a lot of our behavior is knee jerk and reflexive. Like if they tell you to not watch the rated R movie, you're going to find a way to watch the rated R movie.
0: Right. Yeah. (laughs) Or, you
1: know, don't go to whoever's house. You're going to find a way to, you know, so it's like I understand that they saw that if they forced something on me, the reaction may have been, uh, you know, force something because they did try. They pushed it. I do in hindsight. Yeah, I guess. Oh, I'm wondering how I would do this if I were in their shoes. But like, yeah, I would try to maybe skillfully talk to the child and be like, hey, this could be fun. Let's do the homework together because I would really want them to do it at a young age. So it's kind of seared into their heads at that age and they develop a natural understanding of the language. So uh, I maybe would. I do kind of wish. But, you know, in the end, and I'll tell you the story, it kind of worked out. So I think the thing that really sparked my interest in, you know, reclaiming the sort of Iranian identity and really growing closer to it happened in, I'd say in high school, I, I was approached by a lot of teachers and friends of parents, you know, Ahmadinejad, the conservative sort of firebrand president of Iran was in power back in the day. So he would generate headlines over nuclear things and what have you. And, you know, a lot of my friends' parents, my teachers, even at school, would be like, so uh, what do you think of this uh, Akhameda- Akh- Akhamedajad guy? <laughs> yeah. You know? And uh, I'd be like, well, I didn't know how to answer the question. I was like, well, I, I don't know. I mean, he, I guess he's not good. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would just try to parrot something that I'd heard elsewhere. Right. But the more I got asked and like, you know, kind of the father of Orientalism, Edward Said talks about this uh, a little bit. You know, you kind of become, unfortunately, you become this reference point for a lot of Americans and Westerners for this culture that they don't know about. So I became that reference point essentially. And for worse or better, I've talked to Alex Champs about this and others, like it, it propelled me to learn more so that I could answer their questions. And one of the ways that I had to learn more was to learn how to speak the language and write it and read it and, and learn about the history. So that happened, and then 2009, there was a green movement protest in Iran against, you know, the re-election of Ahmadinejad, which was marred by allegations of fraud, or you know, legitimate, leg- legitimate claims of fraud in that uh, election. People broke out in the streets. And so that, I saw all these young Iranians in the streets and I traveled to Iran and only seen my family at that point. I didn't have any like Iranian, like cool Iranian friends like that were my age. And so I was like, wow, if we had lived there, I would have been potentially one of those kids protesting. And so that 2009 just like, thrust me into this uh, mood and into this sort of mindset of I need to learn everything I can about the Persian language so that I can learn about my heritage and learn about where my parents came from and learn why all these young people that look like me and dress like me are in the streets protesting. And that just set me off on this like obsessive quest to learn about Persian and learn Persian and Go to Tehran over the summertime. It, you know, I had the privilege of doing this to go study at the University of Tehran's Dehoda Institute. Oh,
0: wow! To
1: take language classes, and I just that became my my pride and joys. Learning Persian. <laughs>
0: Amazing. So now you're like super. Like you can read easily.
1: I can read, write. I've live translated Amazing. before. Um, right. it's it, it really became an obsessive journey, and uh, and I was, again, I was I was a budding journalist, and I wanted to cover Iran for Western media. And so I was like, because I'd seen it, you know, all my teachers coming to me, my friends, parents coming to me with these questions. What is Iran? Oh, Iran is this. Oh, the women there are so oppressed, blah, blah, blah. And I would really wanted to kind of, you know, apply this corrective of the Iran that I knew and saw. And I traveled to see my family and the joy and the hope and the, you know, the other sides of Iranian, you know, there's obviously suffering and sadness, but there's, you know, it's like any country, it's a country of 80 some odd million people. There's so many more stories than, you know, what we see kind of often reflected, I think, in in Certain segments, I'd say, of, you know, the media in in the Western world. So, yeah, that's kind of.
0: Well, we have a we have a lot of listeners like you who grew up in the United States who probably didn't weren't able to travel as much to Iran to study. But what would you uh, tell them? Like, what would your tips be to become more proficient in the language? What resources did you find um, besides Rodeau, which is amazing? But Oh,
1: right. Yeah, definitely. I was very pro- I can't remember how I learned about it. It must have been when I was at NYU. One of my professors or somebody mentioned it to me. I was like, oh, wow. my which, God. What did
0: you study at NYU? Uh,
1: I did Middle East studies and political okay. science. Yeah, so I did uh, those. But to your question, uh, what would I recommend? So one of the things I did, so before I went to De Khoda, I started taking Persian classes at, at NYU. I was very, again, very fortunate they had a Persian language instructor. They had a few, too, actually, I think. And um, so, and he had, you know, Professor Mehdi Khorrami had actually written his own textbook, which is fantastic. I highly recommend it to anyone who is Mehdi Khorrami. Uh, yeah, it's Mehdi and then K-H-O-R-R-A-M-I. Uh, he wrote his own textbook. He had little exercises in there, fill in the blank. It's, it's a wonderful book. Um, and I'm sure he's updated it too. So now it looks really slick back in the day it was a little bit like, yeah. But, um, so one of the things I would do is I would watch the Persian language newscasts. Uh, and frequently, honestly, I would watch BBC Persian. Uh, I would watch BBC Persian like a maniac. I learned all the names of the reporters, Castro Naji, Bahman Kalbasi, Rano Rahimpur, uh, just you know, one after another and i would watch them they listen to their elocution listen to their intonation listen to they had a very newscasty voice you know
0: right and they speak with a like formal it sounds like yeah. they're reading right
1: yes yes so it's a and little we're different, different but right right no, more, you say bomb you know all these things and so i would just like like listen to them look in the mirror to be like wow they have this very nice pronunciation and so i I would watch that. Obs- I would come back from school, from class and college and would just like sit on the live stream and watch BBC Persian. I would try to sometimes even watch uh, IRIB, al uh, Sima, although I-, I-, I preferred BBC Persian, frankly. It's just, it was, yeah, it's, um, you know, somewhat hyphenated Iranian sometimes. Yeah, it was a similar experience. And yeah. I would watch that and listen and listen and listen. The other thing I would do, and that was for speaking, of course. And anytime I would come across a word, of course, they're speaking it. It's not subtitled. I would write it down. I would write it down maybe in Finglish or like English characters. Because if I didn't know, you know, the actual characters. And then I would call my great uncle, my dad's uncle in Iran, who is this amazing guy uh, and at like midnight and be like, you know, I uh, I came across this word. Uh, what was it? Or like... Estemal or whatever it was and he's like, well, oh, no no, that's actually this pronunciation. So and- wow,
0: he must have loved that. I feel mean, like <laughs> oh, he, he- I feel like old men in Iran just love that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's like that's what they live for. They're like one day
1: And he's a single guy in his, like, late 60s. Imagine that. So he's just sitting at home waiting for these phone calls. Like what else? He He wakes up at 4 a.m., watches all the news channels. He has a giant collection of Time magazine and a secret room in his house locked from Uh the pre-19th because Time magazine used to be sent to Iran and it all has the Persian written on it as well, like, oh, Felan Toman, Felan Rial, actually, back in the day. So it's nuts to see Time magazine issued, like, in Iran. He has this Huge wall. It's super cool. Yeah.
0: So then you became proficient. And then what years did you move to Iran? The two years?
1: Right. Okay. so basically, again, taking Persian classes in college while I was back in New York. And then the summer times were all spent in Tehran. Every summer of college I spent in Tehran.
0: And in school, you're studying Middle Eastern studies. So in school, you're studying material about Iran, like what's happening. You're becoming more and more knowledgeable about the history.
1: Absolutely. And again, like, you know, um, you know, much love to my professors and, and very cool. So I, I did that. And then, and then basically I'm prepping. So over the summertime too, I, uh, managed to kind of freelance a few articles from Iran, uh, while I was living there. Uh, I did, I was, uh, I did something for tied a few pieces for time magazine, I think oh, wow. Junior year of their website. But again, all the stuff I did back then was anonymous because I, I didn't have a press pass. So oh, um, right. I basically would, it would say something like the byline would read time staff or whatever.
0: Wow. Okay. So I
1: did a few of those and then I was like, oh my God, this is my dream. I want to move to Iran. I want to be a correspondent for the West, one of these Western publications, whether it's the Associated Press, New York times, Washington post, whatever. And, uh, and then sure enough, 2013, the year that I graduated was also the year of Iran's presidential election. You know, Ahmadinejad was on his way out and, you know, a lot of my young Iranian friends that I developed over those summer times were curious to see what would happen, though not very hopeful. They didn't really expect anything. Right. Dramatic to happen. And right um, after
0: 2009.
1: Exactly. 2009 had scarred a lot of them. Totally. And they were kind of of that sort of middle class, somewhat. Yeah. You know, urbanized, educated, middle class folks who, yeah, who definitely did not like Ahmadinejad. And so 23, 2013 rolls on by, I'm gearing up. I'm like, oh my God, I know this editor at Time Magazine, but then that editor leaves. And then Time then later tells me that they've cut their freelance budget. So they don't have any money to pay me to do articles. So that, anyways, things fell fell, fell through. I had a a couple other stumbles. I ended up freelancing for The Guardian while I was there. Long story short, um, Tehran Bureau, I think is, is a news source that was And uh, yeah, then I lived there from 2013 to 2015 and uh, really did not expect to live there that long. I was going only to cover the election for two months and maybe popping back to the States. But then I started going, I started covering stuff and I started, got some translation gigs. I got some English language, you know, gigs, teaching English made friends one gig led to led to another i started subtitling my friends documentaries i met a, a collective of documentary filmmakers yeah it was just one one kind of experience flowed into the other and just two months became two years wow
0: okay so have you been back since then since 2015 i
1: haven't been back since i left in 2015 okay. yeah and are you
0: are you worried about going back or is it Yeah, it's, I will say
1: yes. And this is something that comes up in conversations. And right now at this moment, especially because of the tensions between Iran and the United States, and also what happened to uh, Jason Rezaian, the Washington Post correspondent, Uh, he was detained for, I think, some two years or something almost, or was it, yeah, along with his wife, Yegane Salehi, and so They, um, that sort of experience happened midway through my stay in in Iran. And so it was just throwing all these things into question because I basically wanted to do something along the lines of what Jason was doing is, is, is reporting on Iran, hoping, you know, to hope Americans eyes to what life is like there and have this happen to him was just like my, like, and, and so that happened and, and yeah, so it, 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 I mean, What a time, what a time that was. Um, But now it's been yeah, now it's just again, you see the tensions and there's all these political calculations of like Americans going. So I'm kind of waiting to see if things are going to change, if there's a kind of a detente of some sort, and maybe then I'll feel more comfortable.
0: Going back to the present, uh, what is your so so you came back, you started working, um, producing films, and now you're working at AJ Plus uh, producing your own series and, and different videos for them. A lot of fun videos. I love your videos with Najmi about my That's a <laughs> lot of fun. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and putting the Sabzi on the pizza. Yeah.
0: Well, so now what is your community like in general? Like, do you hang out with a lot of Iranian friends? Or do you, like, what is your, I, I realize in the, in the document, or in the series that you produced, you were saying that you felt like growing up, you really didn't relate with the stereotypes of Iranians. And I feel like I was like that. I grew up in Texas, but I always felt that way. There were a lot of Iranians in my town, and I was always like, okay, well, Iranians are like this, and I'm just not like this, until I came to college in Austin, and then I met all these people, and I was like, oh, these are my people. These are my weird Iranians.
1: Right, 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 totally. Yeah,
0: which I, I noticed that you used nayam uh, Khoshani's uh, photographs in your... In your oh from series. the documentary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she was at school here for a while too. So oh. I, I include her in one of my weird Iranian friends. But um yeah, what's your what's your community what's like? What's my now?
1: community like? It's very interesting. It's a mix of if I look at my friends uh today, it's a mix. I have a lot of Arab friends from all over the Arab world, from the Levant to North Africa to, you know, you name it. Um and I'd say probably right now, like in New York, like, you know. Uh, I have, you know, Syrian, Kuwaiti, uh, Lebanese, Palestinian, Palestinian Palestinian-Iraqi, and then a lot of South Asian friends, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, um, you know, Indian, uh, and then I'd say what else? And then obviously, of course, we have Iranian-American friends who, and even Iranian-Iranian friends who have just moved here. So it's kind of very much a South Asian, Middle Eastern kind of group. And yeah, that, that would probably be my friend group today. And, and 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 there's just something so nice I've realized now looking back on it. If I had these friends when I was younger, I would have been able to navigate a lot of different parts of my identity and feel comfortable with different parts of myself much earlier than I actually did. Like if I had folks from again, I'm not a particularly pious person, but friends of mine today, many of them are from Muslim background. And so like, if, if I had that and been able to talk to people and I didn't feel so alone in whether, you know, being called names on the playground or being made fun of for your appearance or your skin color or your, your hair or your, anything, you know, unibrow thing, all these sorts of experiences, right? Like if I'd had someone to share that with, it would have been so much less lonely and so much, Easier to kind of just make it through than the torment and kind of the self-questioning and the suppression of parts of my identity that, that that you know who knows what that led to. But like yeah, and 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 you know now as an adult I just feel like I can just float in the water. I guess maybe great. that's one you know and not have to <laughs> worry about. I, this is like I am who I am, and this is right. great. And other people who are like me, who I surround myself with, and right, and, yeah.
0: Well, kind of my last question was going to be, but maybe I'll I'll say that now, um, what is your in general, what's your uh, connection with the Iranian diaspora and what's your how do you see it developing in the future? Because it seems like to me, I've had this podcast for 10 years now, and I, I'm just now starting to get more into social media with the podcast. But I so I don't know if it's just me or in general, it seems like there's this explosion of people doing really good work in this space and really. um creating great content and connecting, uh, with one another. And
1: yeah, I think it's amazing. I mean, scholars like Goulet, you have scholars like Amy Malik, you have, uh, you know, Alex Shams, uh, Rustin, Zako, all these folks, uh, there's tons of them, uh, that are doing phenomenal work. I mean, AjaM media collective is one of my favorite sites, uh, was recently on this like zoom conference call with, uh, Rustin over there from, from I And, uh, I think, I think it's it's just so amazing that we have this now. We have folks studying the diaspora because there's so many of us. I've seen a stat, again, I don't know if this is true, but something like five to six million Iranians live outside of Iran, I think is the last time I heard a stat like that, again, strewn throughout the world, um, a large of the plurality of them, obviously in the United States, and And, you know, our community, and I think this is really a product of how new our community is. If you look at Chinese Americans or Japanese Americans, uh, Mexican Americans, these folks have kind of longer, um, I should say, older roots in the United States, like their immigration patterns started much earlier than ours or their mass immigration patterns, whereas ours kind of really starts to kick off with 1979 and the revolution. And I just think it's a natural function of the time that we've been here in the West and our commun- and how our community has grown. And now we're starting to see those publications. We're starting to see those voices. I just saw this beautiful documentary by um, someone I re- met recently on via Zoom <laughs> uh, by Julia Elihu, who lives in uh, uh, Los Angeles. She's a filmmaker, writer, director, and she did a piece called The Osamine that uh, looked at sort of the trauma of a young Iranian girl moving to the United States during the Iran hostage crisis in the early 80s and being made fun of for her appearance, her unibrow at school. And like the fact that we have this media and this literature and these stories, whether they're videos, films, articles, music, even I heard of this amazing remix, like cool remix of a Google song that was happening is is. I'm glad that if I have kids or if anyone has kids, that they'll grow up in this environment where they can surround themselves by diaspora media and folks navigating their identities and their feelings of in-betweenness with all of this stuff to make them feel less alone. Like that, that to me is just so beautiful and so wonderful. And like I think it's very inspiring. And I can't wait to see what the second generation, third generation kids are going to do. And ideally, let's see if the language and the culture is passed on. I don't know. That's kind of the right. question. Are we going to be, is it like the Italian American story where, where I don't know where we become less than, oh, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see.
0: Well, yeah. So that's my, that's my last question for you. So uh, in the future, if you do have kids, do you think, how do you think you'll navigate it with your children? Are you going to uh, force them to speak the language or are you going to do it? How, how are you going to, how are you thinking to do it?
1: Ooh, you know what I'll do? Here's the thing. I don't like forcing, but right. I like making something look cool.
0: Okay. <laughs> so, okay.
1: <laughs> so I think thankfully, thanks to all the folks that are in our diaspora community, uh, there are a lot of ways there's cool YouTube videos about Bishkan, you know, whatever it is. Right? There's cool YouTube videos about <laughs> Iran. There's cool podcasts like yours, uh, you know, like, I think there's a lot of stuff to help make our culture look and feel cool right. so that they're, when they're at school with Jake and Justin and Matt and whoever it is, <laughs> right. like when they're there, they they don't have to like shy away and be like, and and blend into something that's not them. They can be like, okay, you you're bringing this to the table at the age of five or six. Look at this cool thing that I'm bringing to the table and they can be proud of it. Right. Because they're in this environment. So the answer to your question is, I, okay. I mean, we'll, I wouldn't say force, but I would I would do <laughs> my very best, everything in my power, to make sure they learn Persian and honestly, frankly, Arabic as well. Okay. Because I my I took an Arab a year of Arabic in college, and it improved my Persian so dramatically. Interesting. Because of okay. Learning the Arabic roots, like there's so many words. You know, I told you the word earlier today, estehazar, right? That's connected to like hazer. I am ready, hazeran you know, mahazar, the place you go to work to present yourself with someone, or if you're summoned or something. So all of these things have the hazar or in Arabic dora, you know, uh, root. So when you learn that, even if you come across a word in a speech or someone's like, you will kind of be able to be mahazar. Comes from hazar, comes from being presenting yourself somewhere. Ah, you know, all these things. And you sort of start to learn a way to to define words without knowing them. And that's so I would try to get a little bit of Arabic in there, of course. And then Persian would be, or, you know, both, honestly, if they can do both, that'd be amazing. Um, but, um, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of value and a lot of Iranians don't talk about the value of Arabic in, I think it's brushed right, aside, but it is, it tremendously helped me.
0: But why do you think it's important specifically to learn the language instead of just like being immersed in the culture in different uh, ways, like their food or, or whatever, why
1: language? I think the language, I mean, it's just the key gateway to the culture. I learned so much more about myself and my heritage when I finally got a grip on the language. Because when you don't know the language, you're relying on interlocutors, you know, to basically tell you what it is that is happening in Iran or telling you what the culture is. Even speaking and and listening, like those two skills, even if you can't read or write, but if you have a high level of comprehension, like that allows that opens up so much that opens up this whole world of Iranian media, of film, of, of uh, YouTube videos, of Instagram videos right now there's all these Iranian Instagram stars. Um, that just opens up. And even, even in the world of like Persian memes and even like there's this guy in Canada, Nima something. And these sort of, uh, if, uh, what's his name? All these folks I follow on Instagram and they're like, or Puya, what's his name? Oh, this guy, this Canadian guy is so funny. Pouya. Puya, Puriya, Puya, You have to send me a
0: list, and I'll, I'll put them on links. <laughs> yeah, he
1: is so funny because he switches between English and Persian, and he like he just does these funny sketches and skits and, and and things to the camera. But when you learn the language and you can speak it yourself or understand it, then that opens up this whole world of the heritage. Instead of me, instead of you know you having to, for example rely on oh well so and so told me in English this thing exists about Iran. Well, you can explore for yourself if you know it. And I think. Um, yeah, that's kind of the thing. You are accessing the source material yourself, and
0: right. I love that. Yeah, yeah, and
1: that that allows you to discover things. And I'll just think of all the YouTube possibilities, like all the <laughs> all the YouTube and Googling you can do once you know the language.
0: Yeah. The well, I love that. Thank you so much. That's very inspiring. And to end with, uh, where can people find you and find more about
1: your work? Uh, where can people find me? So, um, a couple There's places. There's Instagram. Yes, my Instagram. I post. Uh, links to all of kind of my latest AJ Plus uh, videos and documentaries there, and then I also kind of have some Instagram exclusive content Ooh, okay. <laughs> uh, where I cook. I, I have a tendency to bastardize That's a lot right. of That's right. Yes, dishes. your Persian
0: mac and cheese, which uh, someone pointed out. They said this is not Persian, but all right.
1: that Yeah, Holly Daggers. Yeah, That's she right. pointed <laughs> that out. Um, so yeah, my Instagram. I love. I just love just screwing with kind of my grandmother's recipes. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, my Twitter as well. I'm kind of active uh, more on Twitter, like kind of the political things. Uh, and then what else? And yeah, if you want to check out kind of our show, eat this with Yara, which has been on AJ Plus for a while now. Uh, there's uh, you just go to AJ Plus's page on YouTube or and uh, you can access all the videos. Yeah.
0: And again, we'll link to all of that on the show notes for this episode. And I think that's it. Thank Thank you you so much, much. Layla. This was a lovely conversation. It was so wonderful to to put
1: a face to the name as well. Oh, my God. (laughs) We've been following each other.
0: Exactly, exactly. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Have a good one.
0: Hope you enjoyed the interview with Yara. As we said, you can find the links we talked about in this episode in the show notes for this podcast in the culture section of our website at chaiandconversation.com with try spelled C-H-A-I. Chai and Conversation is a complete Persian language program. If you check out our other podcast, we have completely free lessons that teach you the Persian language all the way from beginner level to learning Persian poetry in a fun and easy way. In addition, we have the absolute best and easiest Persian reading and writing course. You can find all this and more on our website at chaiandconversation.com with chai spelled C-H-A-I. Hope you enjoyed and see you next time. bad.